Oh, okay. Let me. Uh, I wanted to start by reading. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, little email I got here from Paul Sager, who that name wouldn't mean anything to probably most of you, but I'm on the Canadian board for a ministry called Biblical Ministers Worldwide, and Paul Sager is the international director, uh, and the headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia. He sent this email out, and in his emails, he says, dear members of the board, and he puts two things. He always puts, this makes me mad, and this makes me glad. (laughs) So under the section, you know, this makes me glad, he talks about some, some missionaries that have, have completed their deputation and they're heading to the field, and so that was all good. But under, under the section, this makes me mad. He put, I just heard from Matthew Bates, um, who is a missionary with BMW in Denmark. Matthew Bates says, there are 50 Mormon missionaries that, have, that are now in Denmark. By the end of this, this year, it is projected that there will be 100 Mormon missionaries in Denmark. To our knowledge, the Bates are the only church-planning missionaries in the country from North America. So we have one evangelical missionary couple, and by the end of this year, we'll have 100 Mormon missionaries in Denmark. And uh, so, obviously, this is under, this makes me mad. And Sager says, this is unacceptable. We have been unsuccessful for a number of years in trying to recruit team members for the Bates to work alongside of them. This is extremely frustrating. We do have some plans on the table to continue stirring the pot. I'm daily praying for Denmark. Les, or Les Lofquist, he's the president of the IFCA um, in in, uh, a group of churches in the U.S. He says he is going to give me a platform during the summer convention to elevate awareness about the needs of Denmark. We are planning, planning an exposure trip to Denmark for some pastors. I talk about Denmark in every college and seminary chapel I'm invited to. Please join us and pray. Denmark is the most neglected country in Western Europe. And we want to do something about this. I just got this this morning. He just sent this this morning. And, you know, I thought, boy, so great, great things are happening around the world. And uh, God's doing some wonderful things. But emails like that just remind you that, that we can't afford to sit back and to just kind of let the world pass us by when you think about that, he said, that makes me mad. A hundred Mormon missionaries in a country where there's one couple that he knows of, evangel- good, solid, and I, I'm sure there's some fringe groups maybe in there, but he's talking about good, solid people. And uh, he says, uh, think that that's not acceptable. We need more people. So I want to challenge you to go to Denmark. <laughs> maybe God would lead you to Denmark or somewhere else, but the challenge certainly is that God needs us, doesn't he? The fields are white unto harvest. And so we have a responsibility to really, to pull up our sleeves and to get busy serving God. We can't afford to be wasting our lives and wasting our time. Well, let's um, turn to Isaiah this morning, chapter 43. Isaiah 43. Pastor Gordon Morey and Don Campbell. I think Don was going to come. We're going to be here at Tay Valley um, Bible Camp. That's one of the camps that I go to in the summer. Speak there for a week during their teen camps. And it's, a, it's an interesting ministry. They have uh, a big generator that runs the whole camp. 11 o'clock at night, 
when the lights go off, you don't have any choice. The lights go off. They stop the generator, and that's it for the night. And, uh, but it's a, it's a really unique place. Great things have happened there. And, uh, you know, last year when I spoke at the teen camp, I think of, of the probably 20 teens that were at that week of camp, one of them had their parents together. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And these kids are like, we're not talking about just, just living in homes where their parents are separated. We're talking some pretty wicked, wicked families and environments that they come from. And, uh, but God's, God's great and uh, doing a great work in, in that camp. So, so they'll hopefully be here sometime in the future. I think they've rebooked their time and they'll come and speak to you about Tay Valley. Isaiah 43 and verse number 22 to 28. Let's look at these verses together. It says in verse number 22, But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, and thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. So you look back at verse number 22. It says, Thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me. What an awful thing that God would look at a people and claim that they are weary of him. What is God's response to them? In verse 24, he says, You have not brought me sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me. We have a contrast. The nation of Israel saying, We're weary of you. And God's saying, I'm weary of you in your sin. Went on, and I, I'm not really much for social media very much, but I went online and I went to some just different blogs, not of necessarily people I know, but I just found these sites and these blogs that people were writing. Christians. I was kind of interested in finding out what some Christians think about their experience, their Christian life. Here, here's, I've just compiled a whole lot of different stuff that people that are claiming to be evangelicals, followers of Christ, have said. About, and this all centers around this being weary of God. The guy said, I'm tired of being a Christian. If being a Christian means I have to preface any and all of my actions with an explanation. He says, I'm drinking, but I'm not getting drunk. I'm cussing, but I, I don't do it in a whisper. And I'm, or I do it in a whisper, he says, and I'm, and I'm only quoting something I heard from somebody else. I'm not going to church, but I'm not alienating myself from the body of Christ. I don't do my devotions, but it doesn't mean I'm, I'm not getting some kind of prayer and Bible time in with God. I'm tired of explanations. 
many of which I don't believe in. I'm tired of being a Christian if that means you can't use foul language when you get mad. I know some people who have a clean mouth but a dead and black heart. Now listen to this. Likewise, he says, some of the most foul-mouthed people in my life have a deep abiding love for Christ. I was scratching my head thinking, what planet are you living on, buddy? He says, and yes, I realize, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I get it. Obviously you don't. He says, I'm tired of being associated with Christians who are voting on whether or not to have gay pastors. I'm tired of being associated with Christians who insist on shoving Jesus down everybody's throats. He says, you ought to be building relationships. That's the effective way of reaching out. That, that's just code word for I'm not doing anything to share Christ with people. But it makes them uncomfortable that some people are bold in their approach, right? Another guy goes on and he says this. He says, uh, I'm, I'm, tired of, <clears throat> I'm tired of being associated with Christians who go to church on Sunday and then live like the rest of the world the rest of the time. That's a good thing to, to be tired of that. I'm tired of being associated with Christians who, who think we should never have non-Christians in our worship teams. Must be his pet peeve. It, even if that is the only way that person will ever get into church. Okay, let's fill our programs and our leadership positions with unsaved people so we can get them in the church. One guy says, I quit being a Christian. I'll never stop following Christ and living a life that he's called me to, but I quit being a Christian. I want to be able to proclaim to people when I'm having a hard time. I want to be honest with people and let them know it's been a month since I've had my devotions. That's real Christianity. Real Christianity is what? Not having your devotions for a month? It's not the peaches and creams we ascribe it to. It's not about being perfect. It's about doing the best that we can. Another guy says, I'm tired of being a Christian if that means I have to obsess about a person's sexuality. Give it a rest already. We know the verses. Everybody quotes them at length. We get it. But if it's one thing that following Jesus has taught me, it's that pet issues change when you put a face on them. In Matthew 12, 34, I want you to listen to these words. Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. My grandmother just, was just up there at my grandfather's funeral. She always used to tell me, and she's not saved, but she used to tell me when I was growing up, Matt, what is in the, the well of your life will eventually come up in the bucket of your mouth. What does that mean? It means that your heart eventually will betray you. And, and a lot of what, some of what these people were saying is accurate, but a lot of it was, was just mumbo-jumbo for saying, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, and I don't want people judging me. And if you judge me, that's not Christian. And I want to live my life the way I want, and, and I want to do the things I want to do, and if, if, uh, if you don't agree with it, I'm, I'm just tired. I quit being a Christian. I'm not going to quit following Christ, but I, I quit being a Christian. What kind of mumbo-jumbo nonsense is that? It's ridiculous. And here is, here is Jesus, and, and, and he, or here, is, here is Jehovah God speaking to the nation of Israel, saying, hey, 
uh, you are weary of me, O Israel. I mean, the, the people in, in, in this day, the Israelites were doing exactly what some of these people did in these blogs, except they didn't have the social media outlet. They were, they were simply saying, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it. And there are a lot of Christians today that are, are probably, and it's possible that you're at this position in your Christian life as a student. Um, that you're really kind of just floating through. You're really not engaged in your, your walk with the Lord. You're not vibrant in your Christian testimony. Uh, you know, you, you know how to kind of get through the day. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're alone in your room, when you're alone in those times and it's just you and nobody else around, who you really are, it's just, it, it, there's nothing there. There's no vitality. And there's always a danger. And probably some of, some of the people that are in the most dangerous position in life are people that are sitting in Christian circles, are sitting like these people are, in, in, in and amongst believers. And, and as we, we look at this passage here, there's a couple of things that I want you to see. Number one, look at verse 22. God says to the people, Thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but you have, you have been weary of me. And the word weary, it simply means exhausted in strength, endurance, and vigor. It means to have your patience or your tolerance wear thin. Now think about that. How in the world could these people say that God had worn them thin, their patience? Is that not blasphemous? For somebody to say, God, you, you're... you're you're trying my patience. And these people are frustrated in their experience. And I get that. I understand that people can be frustrated in their Christian experience. I get that. I understand that. I've been there. But what does it take for somebody in their Christian life to get to the place where they're weary of God? If you're a new believer, it's probably not, not something that probably you can even fathom at this point in your Christian experience. But there's a few things that happen. When we, when we become weary of God, there are a couple of things that are going to take place in your life. And, and I want this to be a checklist for you. We're, we're coming up on teen retreats here. And you have an opportunity. I mentioned at breakfast. You have an opportunity to impact, from, impact the lives of, of a lot of teens that you, you otherwise wouldn't be in contact with. But one of the things that you definitely, I can tell you, for sure, is you, you cannot impact people from a distance. You can only impact them up close. You can impress people from a distance. And, and, and sometimes we're good at that, but you can only impact people up close. Here's the problem. The closer you get to somebody, the more they're able to detect who the real you is. Right? If, you're, if you have some distance from somebody... The reality is that, that, that per, you can pull off a lot of things. They, they might not ever find out who you really are. But in order to really impact someone, you've got to get close. And the danger is you get close and then you become vulnerable. Because people know who you are. You know, just in a weekend when teens come here on our campus, if you get close enough to those teens, they in just two days can find out who you really are. That's how quick it can happen. 
And here we have these people and God's saying, you're weary of me. And then he begins to say, let me tell you who you really are. First of all, the person that is weary of God, the person that gets to this place in their life is someone that stopped praying. Look at what it says in verse 22. It says at the very end of the verse, you have, you have been weary of me, O Israel. But then the first part of verse 22, what does it say? You have not called upon me. Oh, Jacob, you have not called upon me. And one of the evidences that they were weary of God and one of the evidences that that they weren't in the position they should have been in their, their relationship with God is that they had not called upon the God of Jacob. Now, this is when it gets personal. Let's look at our lives. Let, let's think about your personal walk with the Lord. I'm not talking about 8 to 12, 15 when you're sitting in classes. I'm talking about your walk with God outside of the classroom, outside of the organized things that we have for you to do. Do you have a vibrant prayer life with God? How many people find it hard to pray? You find it hard to pray? It's difficult, isn't it? It's, uh, it's really, really difficult to... And, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I mean, you, you hear about men of God, let's say in the past, that you would wake up early in the morning and pray for two, two and a half hours, and you're thinking, what? I remember as a kid hearing about that. I'd hear about some missionary that would used to get up and read his Bible for so long and pray for so long, and I'd try it, and after about two days, <laughs> I would, you ever been there? Especially if you've grown up in a Christian home. It's frustrating. And yet you will never impact this world for Christ unless you become a person of prayer. Paul Sager, I just mentioned there's the director of BM, international director for BMW. number of years back, uh, probably five, six years ago, the mission decided, they said, you know what? We, we want to grow. We want this mission to flourish. What's wrong? And so they, they coined the phrase impact through intercession. That's actually how he signed his email to me, impact through intercession. And you know what he did? Paul Sager did something a lot of people wouldn't do. At their mission headquarters, was very nice. And they actually went in there and he made them renovate this basement area. And there's an entire room and it's absolutely beautiful. And you walk in there and there's nothing that happens in that room but prayer. It's not a place to socialize. It's not a place to to uh, hang out with the other mission staff members when you get a break. Nothing to do with it. You walk in that area, and it's business. There's, there's, a, there's a wall full of the, a list of all the missionaries and their needs and things like that. And his, his, uh, his challenge to the missionaries was several times a day, I don't care what you're doing, if you just feel led of God, you just go down to that room. It's not a place to talk and socialize. You go there and you pray. And at any given time, you can go down there and, they're in, and obviously they're not checking and saying, hey, you should be working. Because they are working. And you go down there and they've got this beautiful room done up and it's just a room of prayer. People go in there and they pray. For the needs, not their own needs, but the needs of the mission, the needs of their missionaries, the needs of the organization, and all of those things. And, and we need to ask ourselves, and I, I want to ask you, have you cast off prayer? In the past week, how much time have you spent with the Lord in prayer? 
probably some of you would say, I would never want to tell you, <laughs> right, how much time I spent in prayer because it was so little it would be embarrassing. And, and I'm not here to, to chastise you. I'm not here to do the work of God in your life because that's a personal thing. But I'm here to challenge you. Here is a people that became weary of God. And the first thing that God says is you have not called upon me. You've not called upon me. And people that are vibrant in their relationship with Jesus Christ are usually people that are connected to him in prayer. And we need that in our lives. And you need that as a student body. You're not going to do anything for God. If you don't learn to be a person of prayer. The second thing is, as we, we look at verse number 22, it says, You've not called upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. Verse 23, Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of your burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. There's a few things that are mentioned in this verse. Number one, they resented what God required of them. Not only did they cast off prayer, not only did they not speak to God, but they resented what God required of them. You have not brought me the small cattle of your burnt offerings. The nation of Israel was for cheap religion. Cheap being the operative word. The nation of Israel was for the kind of relationship with God that really doesn't take a lot of my time. It really doesn't take a lot of my effort, and it certainly doesn't affect my pocketbook. The acts of devotions that the nation of Israel ascribed to God and performed for God were acts that were small. Notice what it says. And not only was it small, but he says in verse number 23, you have not even brought me the small cattle of your burnt offering. There's two things. You may be weary in your prayer life. But you may be weary in your devotion for God, in your service for Him. When you, when you think of what you need to do, whether it be in your classwork and the assignments that you have, or whether it be things that are asked of you, required of you, um, whether it be going to your practical Christian service, um, whatever it might be, it's possible for us to become weary and our devotion for God. And sometimes we need to take a step back and, and God says, you, you haven't even brought me your small cattle, your small lambs. In fact, they resented the thought of having to give God that which was even small and insignificant, much less that which was great. And somebody said this, when you have such a little sense of the greatness of God and your obligation to Him, then you will have a hard time to find it in your heart to even part with a little lamb for his honor. Let me say that again. Think about this statement. When you have such a little sense of the greatness of God and your obligation to him, you will have a hard time to find it in your heart to part with even a little lamb for his honor. We need to maintain this, this awe, this sense of awe of the greatness of God. And, and that causes us not only to come to Him and to, to not do what the nation of Israel did, which was to cast off prayer, but it also causes us to not count the expense of our devotion to Him. What is it that you've sacrificed 
for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this question has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with money. It does involve the things and the resources that we have, but it goes far beyond that. What, what is it that, that you, you, have, you have done in regards to your devotion for, for God? But, but notice the, the next thing, verse 23, it says, not only have you not brought me the small cattle, but he says, you have not honored me with thy sacrifices. In other words, even the sacrifices and the devotion that you did bring to me, it didn't honor me. See, there's two different things going on here. They weren't praying. They resented the expense of their devotion to God. But thirdly, God says, even the devotion that you did show for me, you didn't honor me in it. And and, and that's two different issues. It's possible for you to be doing things for the Lord, but not to be honoring Him. It's possible for you to be involved in acts of devotion to God and yet not to be honoring Him with it. And here is God making the statement, Thou hast not honored me with your sacrifices. Just about at a time. Let me, let me get, show you one more thing in verse 24 and then I'm going to bring this together. In verse 24 it says, Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. It's interesting that God says, you made me to serve with your sin. When we make God's gifts and God's goodness the food and the fuel for our own desires and lusts, When we take the life and resources He has provided us and use them in a carnal way, when we encourage ourselves to continue in sin because grace has abounded, then we make God to serve with our sin. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, to be involved in fornication and to recognize that you're one with the Lord at the same time is blasphemy. And there's two things, and just just as I put this together, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 6. There are two thoughts, really, of all of those things that I mentioned. I know that probably a lot of them you're you're, you're not going to remember, but if there's two things that I can get you to remember, it's these two things. As we think of the nation of Israel and Isaiah, uh, casting off their prayer life, casting off their devotion for God, Whatever devotion they did, evidence towards God, they didn't even honor Him in doing it. So they'd have been better not to do it. Exodus 6, there are two things that are going to stop you dead in your tracks in life. There are two things that are going to halt your progress as a Christian, and it could be happening already with you right now. There's the circumstances of life, and there's the complacency of life. You see, in Exodus chapter 6, in verse number 9, I want you to notice what it says. It says, And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel. But they hearkened not unto Moses. In other words, as Moses, as the spokesperson for God, gave the message of God to his people, the Bible says that the people didn't hearken to Moses. Why didn't they hearken to him? What's What's the first great danger in life? Why didn't they hearken to him? They didn't hearken, verse 9 says, because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. In other words, it was the circumstances of life. 
that, that caused them to, to deafen themselves to the voice of God through Moses. Moses is speaking, but the circumstances of their life had deafened them to the sweet, still, small voice of God. And whatever's happening in your life right now, I don't really know. But I do know that it's possible, and I know that was certainly true of the nation of Israel and Isaiah, it can deafen our ears to the voice of God. They didn't listen to Moses because of because of cruel anguish and bondage. It was their life experience that caused them to shove away from them the, the counsel of God and the voice of God. But let me show you the next one. Job chapter six, 16. And then I heard the bell, so we'll be done. Job 16. And this probably more than the other one, I think is the danger for you and I. There's the circumstances of life that could cause us to go down the road that the nation of Israel did. But also there's the complacency of life. In Job 16, verse number 12. When people look at the, the life of Job, and obviously Job was a great man. He had, he had all, of, all that somebody would consider would make somebody great in life. Seven sons, he had three daughters, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, he had all of these things. He was the greatest man in the East. And obviously we know the story of how God took, allowed those things to be taken away from him. But look at what it says in Job 16 and verse number 12. Job says, I was at ease. I was at ease. And notice what God did to him. He says, I I was at ease. He hath broken me asunder. He hath taken me by my neck. And he has shaken me to pieces. And set me up for his mark. What did Job realize? Job realized that one of the, even though he was a godly man, even though he was a great man, one of the dangers that he had, the pitfalls that he had neglected to realize is that it's possible in the midst of the environment that Job was in to be at ease. Job was at ease. And, and you know what he says? He gives us the word picture here. He says that God took me by the neck and he shook me. And the shaking of Job was, was all of these things that came upon him, taking his family away, taking his fortune away. His fame, his friends, all of those things. God took him by the neck and he shook him. And he shaken me to pieces and he set me up for his mark. Let me ask you this. Are you willing in your Christian life to be bold enough to say, God, if you need to take me by the neck and you need to shake me, then I, I'm okay with that. If you need to shake me out of my complacency and my ease and my comfortability, whatever you need to do, if you need to set me up for your mark, if you, whatever you need to do to do your work in my life. You know, it's a scary prayer, but that's really my prayer for you. Is that God would take you by the neck and shake you. Because God doesn't want the easy life for you. He doesn't want the easy life. What a a thing that the nation of Israel would become weary of God. 
And Job was not weary of God. We know that. But he was certainly in an easy place in his life. And that can also deafen us to the voice of God. So God had to set him up upon a mark and he had to take him by the neck and he had to shake him. And Job came out the other end of that circumstance and those difficulties a completely different man than when he started. I want you to think, especially as you're, you're coming to this weekend in which we're going to be hopefully impacting a lot of teens for the, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important thing that you can do is to get yourself ready. Because we can put on a great program for them and we can have all our decorations and all our game plans in order and all this kind of stuff. And if, if those students come and they're, they're greeted and impacted by people in which the love of Christ and the power of Christ is not flowing through you, what good is it? What good is it for that kid to walk home to a broken family and to say, yeah, it was fun. But nothing, nothing of value happened in his life. You have an opportunity. And, and some of you are preparing to go on mission trips, Texas and other places. You have an opportunity now to put into practice what you're learning. You have an opportunity now to take what you've been learning in classes and to say, you know what, this weekend, whatever teen God puts in my room or whatever, whatever group I'm able to impact or come around, I'm, I want them to see what it means to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Don't show these teens that you're weary of God. Show them that your relationship with Him is vibrant. Let's pray together. Father, thank You, Lord, for the Word of God. And as, I, as these, these students are going to, really our campus is going to be flooded and bombarded by teens and young people that are from all different walks of life. And one of the challenging things is to peel off the layers of that onion, so to speak. Peel off those layers and get to the heart of what, what is destroying that person's life. And Lord, to help them to realize that through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can live a vibrant life in Him. And Lord, these students, I pray if there's any that are sitting in complacency in their life, they're even here at school, and, and Lord, they need you to shake them up to wake them up to their spiritual needs and their dependency upon you. Lord, we pray that you'll do that work in their life. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.